0: The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You know, every now and again, I realize that I'm just not like other people. (laughs) It's kind of scary to me that... um, You know, the things that I find fascinating or compelling or that I want to do, other people just roll their eyes at me. You know, I was uh, speaking to someone yesterday, like late afternoon, on the telephone, and I said, "Oh, wait a minute, Uh, can I call you back? And they said, is everything okay? What happened? I said, yeah, no, no, another Supreme Court decision came down. I have to read it. And the person said, are you serious? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, I'm serious. And they go, "Oh, I guess it has to do with your job." And I said, "No, most radio hosts unless they happen to be attorneys don't really do this, but it's just something that I truly uh, enjoy." And even when the decisions doesn't go in the direction I'd like it to, I still enjoy reading the way these brilliant people think. And I've cleared my throat. That's going to be it for the day. I came on the air before I even had a drink of water. That was a mistake. So now I have wet my whistle. That was an expression that my father used to use. As a matter of fact, one of my kids' favorite memories was my father. When we would go on these road trips to Orlando to do the theme park thing, he would come down. Uh, first from New York when he lived there, and then from Virginia when he had moved there. He would come down for an entire three weeks to a month, and part of his visit was we would all go either to Tampa, to uh, baseball and boardwalk, which doesn't exist anymore, or bush gardens, or we'd go up to Orlando. And I have this really bad habit when I'm going somewhere, although I don't have it as much anymore because I really do very little driving, Most of the time, my husband prefers to drive. He really doesn't like when I drive. And I'm a good driver. But anyway, I have this really bad habit. When I'm on the road, I don't want to stop. Like, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you're still going to have to wait a while. I just don't like to stop. I like to get on the road and just keep going. And that never sat well with my father. And my father would sit with the kids. Well, he would be in the passenger seat and the kids would be in the back. And the kids would begin their usual, we want Carvel or we want to stop at Stuckey's or whatever they wanted to stop at. And my father would stay quiet until he just couldn't take it anymore. And then he would make this sound. He would go, I'm you know, and I would go, Dad, what's up? And he'd say, I'm spitting dust balls. And the kids would laugh hysterically, I would chuckle, and I would pull the car over, and we would get something to drink. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny, and I know that a lot of you will be able to relate to this right now. The anniversary of my father's passing is the 4th of July. And it was it will be 13 years um, on the fourth of July on Tuesday, and right around this time, just like in May, I get go through this with my mom. um, Right around this time, I start to have like all of these memories come flooding back, and I'm grateful because you don't want to forget the people you love. You know, no matter how much time has gone by, you know he's one of the most important figures in my entire life in my development. I mean he gave me the gift of debate, and he was just an incredibly wonderful man. so i don't I don't want to forget him. But it's funny, all these little stories will come popping up, and they'll be like a reason. Um, and I remember I, w- I was saying to my husband this morning, I remember the last time I got to see my dad, I, I made it up there in time um, before he passed that afternoon with me by his side. And I remember I came walking down the hallway and one of the nurses, he was in a kind of like a, you know, rehab facility. Um, He had come out of a hospital and now he was, you know, doing what you do, trying to get your strength back or whatever. But he had really pretty much had decided he 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 didn't want to go home anymore. He wanted to go home, you know, with a capital H. And so I'm walking down this hallway and he's at the end of the hallway and a nurse spots me. And says, you know, Herbie, your daughter's here. And he like looks up and he goes, hey, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing great, Dad. How are you doing? And he said, uh, not so good. I said, why? He said, well, I woke up this morning and all I could say was not again. And I kind of understood that. You know, I didn't like hearing it because I had just lost my mother six, seven weeks earlier. So I said, whoa, 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 you know, take it easy, Dad, take it easy. I said, it's the 4th of July, we got to celebrate. And he said to me, I didn't even know that. And the 4th of July was his favorite holiday. I mean, more than birthdays or Passover or Christmas, you know, it was just his favorite holiday. We'd, like, put on red, white, and blue and go to parades, and he liked fireworks, and, you know, so for his, his acknowledgement at that moment, that he didn't even know it was the Fourth of July. Like it told me everything I needed to know. And I was able to to, you know, be with him and let him let him go. But I'll tell you, right around this time, the week before the um today is exactly one week before his anniversary of his passing, I start having all these crazy memories. And like I said, I'm grateful. I'm sure many of you go through it. The first couple of years were really intense and then it it it's not that it disappears because it doesn't. It just fades into kind of this much more um pleasant memorializing. You know, it's like I remember all the funny things and all the all the loving things. I never think about any of the rough spots. And there were rough spots. There are always rough spots. But I just say that to tell you this, you know, every time I cough when I come on the air, in my head I hear my father say, I'm spitting dust balls. <laughs> and then I make note that I haven't had a drink of water, I need to wet my whistle, as he used to say. And, and th- those are the things, you know, that we, we have inculcated inside of ourselves by the people who mattered. And, you know, in keeping with the theme of the way that a father feels about their child, I cannot wrap my mind around the fact that the entire country is expected to accept the excuse that Joe Biden simply loves his son and there's nothing untoward about what has just happened. You know, he's the leader of this country. He's ostensibly the leader of the free world. And it looks pretty certain that there were a lot of shenanigans going on between his son... And foreign powers, and therefore between the then vice president of the United States and those foreign powers. Now, look, my understanding was that, you know, if you do something on WhatsApp, the reason that people go on WhatsApp is because it disappears after you do it. I, I really, do, you know, I'm just not that tech savvy. But I remember once finding that somebody had downloaded the WhatsApp on their phone, and I said, "Why do you have that on your phone? Are you know? Are you you know? You don't want somebody to see those messages or whatever the, the information that's going back and forth over the WhatsApp?" And they said, "No, no, it's just uh, it it operates no matter where you are, no matter what's going on." And I remember when I went to foreign countries or when I went to Puerto Rico during the hurricane, that WhatsApp was very convenient because you didn't need to hook up to the satellite of your uh, carrier, If your cellular carrier. You had this connection that any internet connection or even I think without, I, I don't remember, but it was amazing. I was able to send messages on WhatsApp from Israel, from uh, Puerto Rico, from uh, any part of the country, And my friend who spent uh, almost three years on and off in Japan on a military base who's part of my prayer circle every morning, she didn't have to miss prayers. We just did the prayers on this WhatsApp. But my understanding had always been that, you know, everything was secured on the WhatsApp and nobody could, you know, see what you had written or, or access your conversations or your chats. Apparently that's not true because a WhatsApp message between Hunter Biden and uh, some foreign dignitary, a Chinese uh, person, has been revealed. And the idea that now, instead of, oh, I never knew what my son was doing, now it's like, well, you know, my son was going through a very hard time. Like, really? Really? You know, I don't know about the rest of you, but I have kids who have gone through some hard times. Fortunately, they never, you know, were hard times because they were breaking the law or doing something they shouldn't have been doing. They were like hard times, relationships, personal things, uh, maybe school. Um, and my, you know, my understanding was that as a parent, I could be supportive, but I wasn't supposed to spare them the consequences of their behavior. You know, and, and and for anybody who is familiar with addiction and alcoholism and, uh, you know, porn addictions, all these things, and who's not, right? At this point, if you're not familiar with them, you must be living in a cave because somebody you know or somebody in your family is probably struggling with one of those things. And you'd be totally, uh, you know, a liar if you said you didn't understand at all that um, it was a problem and that your position in that problem could never be as an enabler, right? You don't, you don't help your child stay addicted. You don't help your spouse um, you know, uh, do things that are detrimental to his well-being or her well-being. You, know, you just don't do that. It's not responsible. And then after the fact, you don't lie and make up stories about them. Or at least that's the way I kind of was raised and the way I believe. So when I look at all of this and then this complicit media trying to make me feel that somehow if I suspect that there might be two systems or two tiers of justice, I watched some guy on last night, the only reason that um, the TV happened to have been on was because we had had it on a local news channel earlier because of these thunderstorms and we were trying to get like an update from the meteorologist who uh, you know she fascinates me the meteorologist on in Miami she's like this incredibly thin uh, brilliant woman and she's fun to watch and she knows her stuff so we always turn her on to get like weather updates and so we had it on and then of course my husband must have hit the last button, you know, what was the, sh- the station on previously, which would have been probably not since Sunday night when uh, I, I watched, um, no, I couldn't have been, I don't know when it was, but anyway, it went to the Fox News Network, and I had no idea. I had re- reported that morning that Jesse Waters was taking over the 8 o'clock spot, is really kind of strange when you think about it right Jesse Waters got his start when Bill O'Reilly was in that spot and he would do these sort of man on the scene question things and then they would come on O'Reilly's show and it was always kind of humorous and it was very young and it was uh, you know a nice feature and then of course um, when they made Bill O'Reilly leave because that's what happened uh, Tucker Carlson got that time slot And he not only maintained Bill O'Reilly's numbers, but he even grew those numbers, right? And ever since they let uh, Tucker Carlson go, and don't kid yourself, they let him go, they've been struggling, right? What are we going to do? Who are we going to put there? They did this Fox News at night, and they put different people in there every time, and the ratings just kept going lower and lower and lower. And I, I don't watch it, so I don't know why the ratings were so low, but I presume because people are just still ticked off, They don't want to watch them. You know, they're not watching any of the programming. Their numbers are in the toilet across the day parts, right? But last night when it clicked on there, the person who was hosting wasn't Jesse Waters, so I guess that doesn't start till next week or something, but it was Lawrence. Um, I can't think of his last name, but... uh, a very, you know, a handsome young black male who's on the station, Lawrence Jones, I think is his name. But anyway, he's on there and he's interviewing some guy who he refers to as his friend, it looks like a, a Hispanic attorney who was a, a prosecutor or, or, you know, he's held some position in the past, but a, a, an advisor to like Obama. So that told me right away, oh, this should be interesting. So I decided let me hang in for a few minutes and see what happens. And this guy did the most inge- disingenuous tap dance around, uh, you know, oh no, the Department of Justice, they, they investigated, uh, they've been investigating. Pope Biden told them, go ahead, investigate my son. No, 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 no. There are whistleblowers coming forward like every day saying, no, we were told hands off. We were told you can't do this. You can't ask those questions. You got to cover up and, you know, come on. This is turning into like a, a Watergate style scandal. This is going to be all about the cover-up now. Not, not even going to be about the drug addict selling secrets or selling access. This is going to be about the cover-up. And Merrick Garland's up to his eyeballs in this. And the audacity of Merrick Garland and Hunter Biden to be palling around on the very weekend when the American public is being told, yeah, yeah, he's going to slap on the wrist. No big deal. How long do they think they can get away with treating us this way? Because I think the public is fed up, and when the public gets fed up, they go to the polls. And when they go to the polls, amazing things happen, strange things that nobody predicted. So you know, I'm I'm kind of counting on that. I'm sure you are too. Anyway, uh, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app. That way, if you wanted to hear the No Restraint podcast that we dropped this week, you could. Hear it on your app or go to the website, 850wftl.com. That's also a way that you can participate in our great contests. We've given away gift certificates. Uh, um, to, to You can have a, a meal you know, on us just by checking out the website or the app. So do it. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. So, of course, you know, the, the ruling that came down late uh, yesterday, or no, actually, it came down early this morning, that um, really, really is one that I'm going to have to par- pour over is that um, the Supreme Court said that the North Carolina Supreme Court did not violate the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution when it invalidated the state's 2022 congressional map. So basically, they rejected a, a a kind of broad version of a controversial legal independent state legislature theory that um, Donald Trump and his supporters uh, thought was true. It was a six three opinion. the uh, The opinion the opinion the majority opinion was written by Justice Roberts, who's the uh, of course, the Chief Justice, and there were three dissenters. I don't even have to ask you if you know who the three dissenters were because I'm sure you do. It's Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, who's now my favorite, next to Clarence Thomas, and Samuel Alito. The court said that federal courts can have some role supervising state courts in certain circumstances, with Roberts writing that state courts do not have free reign, federal courts must not abandon their duty to exercise judicial review. When state legislatures act pursuant to their Elections Clause authority, they engage in lawmaking, subject to the typical constraints on the exercise of such power. In sum, our presidents have long rejected the view that legislative action under the Elections Clause is purely federal in character, governed only by restraints found in the federal constitution. So you did have Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett um, in this majority opinion, along with Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Now, this is going to have huge ramifications for the next election, and that's why I'm going to have to read this carefully because um, it's a rejection of a theory that uh, I think bears some understanding but we'll find out we'll find out more about it um they did have of course the voting rights people whatever you call them uh, they call it voting rights i call it just can you make sure we always win rights um they're not happy or they are happy with this decision but they're not happy that the uh that the dissenters made any points at all um which is really kind of crazy. Now there's a lot of things that um, that I'm not really sure of anymore. You know, I, there's so many crazy people out there right now, and I'm not sure who to take seriously anymore. And I know you got to be feeling the same way as I'm feeling, right? You know, I, I look, obviously Kanye West has proven himself to be nuts beyond uh, comprehension over and over again. And now apparently somebody else that every now and then she shows how absolutely crazy she is, is Roseanne Barr, right? And, you know, Roseanne Barr got caught on a podcast yesterday that, you know, clearly, clearly shows her as being extremely mentally ill, you know? Roseanne Barr is a uh, full-blooded Jewish person. She's always been um, very supportive of Israel and things like that. And she went on this anti-Semitic rant um, about how nobody died in the Holocaust, that six million Jews should die right now because they cause all the problems in the world. The entire interview is anti-Semitic. And when the interview points out that she's fully Jewish, it doesn't even matter. She she is definitely off her meds. If she wasn't already out of show business, she sure as heck you know, will probably be ostracized now. In another video that I saw as well, she called Donald Trump the first woman president. I mean, she's definitely uh, off her meds. But, you know, w- we all we all give way more credit than they're really entitled to to our celebrity class, you know. And, of course, my son earns a living off of that, so I'm probably, uh, you know, less, uh, less angry about the insanity of these showbiz types than most people. But there is something going on right now with the American people where they are just off their meds, all of them, you know. Now I got Elon Musk's mother stepping in and saying there will be no cage fight with Mark Zuckerberg. Now, not for nothing, but I don't know that Elon Musk is, uh, you know, going to pay any attention to what his mother says. I mean, he doesn't seem to pay any attention to what anybody says, Um. But the Tesla founder's mother, May Musk, is very much against the idea of her son getting hurt in the ring. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm still going with the walrus image where he just lies on top of Zuckerberg, and that's how this ends. But you know, we'll see. W- we'll see what happens. But again, why do we take? All of these people so seriously, like why are we, somebody said yesterday, it might have been Joe Rogan, but somebody said that it would be the most highly watched and generate the most income of any um, pay-per-view program in the history of mankind. In other words, they really believe that there'll be enough people who are willing to pay a ton of money to watch two billionaires you know, fight in the octagon. Like, I don't know about anybody in my audience, but I'm not paying for that. I, you know, I'll wait till it comes out on YouTube or something. I don't really do YouTube either, but it'll be on Rumble before you know it. You just, you just can't uh, understand why there's so much obsession with what these people do. Like, I, you know, I'm just not that I'm not that concerned. I mean, I'm looking at this picture that's circulating on the internet now of RFK Jr. shirtless doing push ups. Okay. If I saw that once, I saw it a hundred times this morning, no matter what site I went to, no matter what I was reading, no matter who emailed me, these images of this 69 year old guy, because he and I are the exact same age. I think we're two weeks apart. Okay. And you know him doing shirtless push-ups is interesting, not okay. I mean, uh, why? He's he's trying to run for the presidency. He's running a campaign to get the nomination away from a sitting president, who better not take his shirt off and try to do push-ups because he'll, you know, that would be the end of him, right? And the public is just more intrigued by this. I, I'm sure he did it because he wasn't getting enough publicity. You know, what's wrong with us? Really, I I, I just don't know how we are so obsessed with this stuff. Like, I'm much more concerned with, you know, is Vladimir Putin suffering a nervous breakdown than is Kanye West or Roseanne Barr suffering a nervous breakdown? Just saying. I mean, Vladimir Putin's got his uh, finger on the nuclear button. So that might make a, a little more. I don't want to see any more selfies by Zelensky. I mean, now he's taking selfies with soldiers. Like what, what? I'm uh, I'm just, I'm confused. We got some big problems ahead of us. We cannot play these games anymore. We gotta get serious, really serious. And start to put together campaigns that'll work and unseat something. I got so many emails from people yesterday. Oh, I wish we could get rid of my congressperson. Oh, I feel hopeless. I can't be hopeless. There's always hope, you know. And and we're the agents of hope. We're the agents of change. We always have been and we always will be. So don't don't give up. And if you are going to give up, please, like I tell you all the time, get out of the way. All right, let me take a break. I'll be right back. So, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just absolutely stunning to me. How quickly um, people give up. I've never, you know, I've never experienced that. Maybe it's because of the way I was raised. Like I was always told, like the harder the challenge, the more determined you need to become. You know, uh, when people tell me, "Oh, you can't do that," or "You can't have that," or "That's not possible," it's almost like uh, waving a red cape in front of a bull. It's like, I'm going to charge. You know, I can think of it happening numerous times in my lifetime. Because when I was in high school, the idea of any girl uh, getting funding to go to college because of some sport was just not real. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. You weren't told it could happen. And then, of course, Title IX happened. And in fact, that became a possibility for many girls. and me included, and I remember when I was, you know, in middle school, and in New York City, when you were in middle school, there were a number of selective high schools that you could apply for, and you had to bring something to the table. If you wanted to go to the high school of music and art, you had to be prepared to do an audition. If you wanted to go to performing arts, you had to be prepared to do a monologue, you know, if you wanted to go to the Bronx High School of Science, you had to be prepared to make your case and your grades had to be exceptional, okay? same for boys to go to Brooklyn Tech, which was only boys then, or to Stuyvesant or any of these specialty schools that were available. I don't know what you would call them by today's standards. Maybe they were magnets or charters, but we didn't refer to them that way. And I set out in middle school you know, with the assistance of, uh, you know, my dad, who I've been talking about a lot today, his encouragement, he said, try out for all of them. You're a good singer, you're a good dancer, and you're smart. Try out for all of them, and maybe you'll get into one, right? I got into all three. And then, of course, I wanted to go to the high school of performing arts. You know, I wanted to, you know, be a, an actress. You know, I would do, be to be a radio personality. Those were my, you know, passions. And uh, my father was very surprised when I also got into the Bronx High School of Science and he sat me down and I'll never forget the way he explained it to me. He said, hey, if you can sing and dance, then you'll be able to be an actress or a musical theater, whatever you want, that'll happen for you because your talent is there. But if you go to the Bronx High School of Science, doors are gonna open for you to go to college, which, um, you know, would be a pretty big accomplishment coming out of your background, your family, our socioeconomic reality, um, why don't you just, you know, try it? And I cried and stamped my feet and all that other stuff, but off I went, you know. And I will never regret accepting my father's description of what was best for me at that time because I had no idea. I knew that I did well in school, but I had no idea just how um how incredible the mind i had been given could be you know it was never stretched you know going through elementary school middle school you know i, I got everything it was reading was easy comprehension was easy you know i was I, I spoke two languages by the time i was five years old you know so a lot of things had come very easy for me by the time i got to the bronx high school of science and i was confronted with a curriculum that was really uh, stringent hard and you name it i had to stretch you know it it pulled me in ways that i had never known i could you know be pulled be stretched and i will never forget that you know it was an amazing uh, opportunity to see uh, just what i was capable of now remember back in those days they didn't assign labels to kids like they do today. You know, I was described by the principal as someone who never stopped talking, you know. And, you know, the, the guidance counselor told my parents if she can find somebody who'll pay her to talk, she'll be all right, you know. And like little do they realize that they were speaking prophetically over my life. But the the incredible part of that was I talked a lot, but I didn't have that much to say. Going to the Bronx High School of Science gave me an education that I couldn't have gotten in most colleges at that time. And I had a lot of stuff to talk about now. And I was challenged at every turn, forensics or debate, whatever you talk. I'm looking at these stories now about these debate coaches and debate teams all over the country who, if you don't line up with the political philosophy or ideology of the debate judges, they can just dismiss you. You know, I, when I came up, you had to be able to argue both sides. My debating coach, with forensic coach at the Bronx High School of Science, he would say, "Okay, uh, you know, this side of the class is gonna, you know, formulate an argument pro, and this side of the class is gonna formulate an argument, you know, uh, con." And we'd all get busy and do it and do it. And then at the last minute, you go, oh, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. This side of the classroom is going to be con and this side is going to be pro. So now we would all, after a while, we got hip to them, you know, but we all had to argue both sides effectively. You know, the idea was to win the debate, right? So no matter what your personal feelings were, you had to make the argument for either the pro or the con when you were called upon. And you never knew who he was going to call upon, right? It was not like we all got to stand up. Every single uh, question was then put to two students. And then the rest of us, uh, you know, judged who was more effective. You know, and and what an incredible, how did that prepare me For life, not just life in radio, but life in general. Like, I don't listen to um, people who have different opinions of mine dismissively. You know, as a matter of fact, I've always said this I can argue against my position better than the people who, who like to argue with me. They just don't, you know, they just don't know that no well crafted argument doesn't consider the other side because you have to address the other side in your argument you don't get to just say oh that's stupid you know i, I can't even imagine so now they're training our forensic our, our debate students to have one opinion you know if you take a position against transgenderism you will uh, you will fail you will lose the debate you'll fail wait a minute H- how's that gonna work You know, most of the American people don't even understand transgenderism, never mind are expected to accept it as though it were just, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, finished science. You know, the only finished science there is about gender is that there is an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. And depending how many of them there are and how they appear determines gender. You know, you may have an emotional disengagement from that biology, but the biology is the science. There is no other science, okay? So if you tell kids that they cannot argue in favor of the actual science, what is that? What is that going to create? A bunch of automatons who believe exactly what the uh, academia believes, what the media believes? You know, uh uh-uh. This is scary to me this is why you look at um, young people and you realize they have such a shallow knowledge of anything, you know, that, that they would listen to a Greta Thunberg, you know, some kid saying, oh, the world's going to end in 2025. It's, uh, you know, the climate change is going to destroy my Kenya vegan. It's not. It's not going to end in 2025. And uh, the climate is probably not what's going to destroy her generation. Uh, wokeness might destroy her generation. Or nuclear war might destroy all generations. I don't know. But this insanity of you can't argue uh, pro-choice in a debate because the judges don't accept that. <laughs> really. And and you can't argue uh, against uh, same-sex marriage in a debate because that's settled. But debates are about ideas. They're not about what's settled. They're about what do people actually believe? You know, and how can you convince somebody who believes differently than you do that perhaps they should change their mind? You know, the ultimate goal of a debate is so that one side is so inevitably true that the other side has to say uh, I yield. Not anymore. Not anymore. You go into debates now, and you're supposed to hold the line on whatever it is that the debate coaches and the power elites and the academics think is the right answer. No discussion. There'll be no discussion over, you know, whether or not uh, the COVID-19 virus was released on purpose or an accident. Nope, cannot discuss that. It's misinformation. Oh, cannot talk about vaccines. You know, RFK Jr., oh, marginalized. Talking about those vaccines and what they might be doing to young people. The fact that athletes are dropping. The fact that, uh, you know, myocarditis is a problem with many uh, young males uh, who have had the virus, uh, the the vaccine against COVID-19 virus. Can't discuss that. And don't you try to bring it up in a debate because then something wrong with you. Unbelievable, right? All right. Let's, uh, you know, let's. I'm gonna. I have one more segment left. I want to remind you, though, the one o'clock Dan Bongino, four o'clock Ben Shapiro, five o'clock Matt Walsh, six o'clock WPTV News, and so on and so on and so on until the morning guys come back at six a.m. I've got one segment left, so don't you touch that dial. And of course, you know, the uh, big. We're waiting for some big announcements from the Supreme Court, and the I guess the biggest one is going to be, the, uh, the affirmative action case that is going to, uh, my expectation is that this Supreme Court is going to rule that colleges can no longer uh, rig admittances on the premise of racial diversity. Now, you know, I was thinking about when I was talking earlier in, this, in the previous segment about being able to debate both sides of that issue um I think one of the things that if I had the time tonight and I don't but if I had the time I would I would wage both cases cuz I think that you're still going to have to come up with some really um very uh, how, how do I frame this you you better be able to make the case for continuing affirmative action at colleges and for uh, eliminating affirmative action at colleges based on race, because if that's the only thing that's going to be deleted, and you're still going to have colleges that have um, that use, for instance, families who previously went to the college as a uh, as a plus for somebody applying, if you're not going to address the fact that. Uh, based on socioeconomics, some kids are in a much better um, in a better high school or a middle, you know, they've had a better education right up until they're applying for colleges. I mean, you know, obviously someone who has had the advantage that I did of going to, you know a, a specialized high school that really prepared you for college, I mean, that was the whole point. Of the Bronx High School of Science wasn't to make scientists. Most of those kids, there were quite a few went into medicine, but most of them, my my class went into, you know, academics, went into law, went into um, all kinds of, you know, politics, social sciences, social services, and and it wasn't science so much as a way of thinking, a way of learning, but it made them much more. Uh, able to get through a a rigid curriculum, a rigorous curriculum at an Ivy League institution or any college, right? So those things bear mentioning. And kids who did not have an opportunity like that, some kid who goes to school growing up in, uh, you know, I I think of J.D. Vance always, because if you ever read the book Hillbilly Elegy, You know, this is a kid who grew up in a very rural, backwards kind of white world in America, with no advantages, no you know, uh, no white uh, privilege in his story, and yet overcame tremendous odds. And talks about the struggle of being so poorly prepared to go to Harvard. Now, you know, my kids who went to Ivys, my forgive me, you know, just at the time I thought it was the right thing. But they came out of a public school system in Broward County, which really didn't prepare you for that kind of rigorous, you know, uh, curriculum. I was better prepared coming out of any New York public, public high school than they were to go to, uh, you know, a, a, a rigorous program. And I look at that now; that's going to have to be something that we that we consider. You know, will we accept people? who, for instance, you know, if you have this young person, Calvin Yang, he is, uh, you know, part of this lawsuit against Harvard, right? This kid was a varsity swimmer, a varsity rugby player. He was in the debate club. He was number one in the IB, the International Baccalaureate program in his school. He started his own uh, non-profit the Canadian Youth Alliance for Climate Action or something. He organized the biggest climate protest in North American history. He had over 300,000 people show up, including Greta Thunberg, and he speaks six languages. He got a 1550 out of 1600 on his SAT. Almost did as good as my son. My son had a 1580. But that's a heck of a score, 1550. He was rejected by Harvard and rejected by Yale. 'cause he was Asian. Now, how is that fair? Now he he ended up at Berkeley, he got into a great school, but he's mad. And he's fighting on behalf of Asian Americans. And I guess on behalf of Asian communities all around the world. He did everything right. And Harvard didn't agree. Maybe they said it was his personality, right? Because they said Asian Americans may outperform every other group on academics and extracurriculars, but they get low marks. When it comes to personality traits, they're less likable. I mean, really, think about that. Now, Calvin Yang is going to be fine because this lawsuit has raised his profile considerably. But there are others, you know, Kenny Yu, 25, rejected from Princeton. There are so many, and I, you know, I've interviewed Kenny Yu. Th- there, this is going to bring up a lot of stuff. And we have to be able to deal with it. We should be able to debate it. We should not be told that we have to come down on one side or the other. So I'm waiting for that opinion. I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then my prayer for you as always is may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. I'll see you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.